We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. I'm Adam McGee. And I'm Andrew Snyder. And you're listening to Make Time for This, a Eurostep Podcast Network podcast for the Blue R Podcast family. And on this episode, we're going to talk about the two biggest shows on TV right now, two absolutely towering fantasy shows. We've got House of the Dragon, the Game of Thrones spinoff currently on HBO. And we've got the Lord of the Rings, the Rings of Power, which premiered on Amazon just last Friday. Andrew, how are you doing? Adam, anyone coming directly from the most recent episode of Cruising for a Bruising listen to this, where I was sour, I was off-putting, I want to let you know, this is not, <laughs> this is not me. I'm going to be great on this podcast, uh, like Viserys would like. I've got my cup of wine here in a hotel coffee cup. I'm ready to be free-flowing and ready to go, turn the page and talk about television, a thing that I have a complex relationship with, uh, but then two properties that I have a deep and meaningful relationship with, sometimes contentious, but sometimes loving. I haven't had a sip of this yet. This is just how this is coming. This like is great. Off the, this is coming off the head. The only thing I've had since, uh, and it still may be a factor, between pods is some wasabi peas and spicy peanuts so that might be really just lighting the fire getting the uh what's uh what's the thing corsicum is that the thing i honestly don't know i hope that's not an offensive word no capsicum something something it's something that is spicy food i hope none of those are bad words in anything so let's start by interrogating your relationship with television you say it's a complex relationship uh, I do worry that I played a part in that. I have made you watch movies, and if you're going to watch something, you've become a movie man as opposed to a TV man. But these two things come along, and as you said, you've got a relationship to the existing IP. They're big, they're buzzy, you're going to be part of the conversation. So here you are, you're watching them. How do you feel about that? How do you feel about them both being on at the same time? 
about Lord of the Rings being on TV generally, about House of the Dragon bringing Game of Thrones back, honestly, what feels like so soon after the contentious ending of that show. How does all of that kind of compute for Andrew as he's forced to return to the world of television and experience both these shows? Capsicum was the word. I'm scared to Google the other ones because I don't know what they are. Um, it's it's interesting because I have complex feelings. Uh, I really love Game of Thrones. I really love the original trilogy of Lord of the Rings. Um, I can't say I was hungering for more of either. Like I said, the last time we talked about Lord of the Rings specifically, but you know, with TV, it's something really needs to grab me and compel me and almost become event viewing for me to be an active watcher. Like I'll watch things because people tell me to, or because friends and family want to watch it with me and I'll be on my phone the entire time if it doesn't grasp my interest. And then something came along like, I just, I don't, I don't know. I'm sure there are shows that existed that would have been like this for me, but for some reason they've fallen by the wayside, like back in the Mad Men, Breaking Bad era of television shows, like shows like that, or when I rewatched The Sopranos, that's a show that really grabs me. And then Thrones was kind of the last version of that for me. That's because I've never truly given Better Call Saul a chance. So that's my fault. But um, yeah, I'm intrigued to have, them both arrive at the same time i also they're almost irrelevant for me in the way that it's happening because i'm treating so far house of dragon almost is now turning into just like okay that's the sunday night thing that we do at the house like we went to a a screening at a, a local theater um on sunday it's just like it's on I know it's on streaming, but it's on HBO at a certain time. Okay, we'll watch it then. Like, and I don't have a lot of shows like that. Succession might be really the only other one that meets that criteria. Whereas they see Lord of the Rings come in and it, you know, drops the two episodes last week. And I knew we were doing this podcast on it at this certain time. So I was like, all right, I'll get get to it. And that's not necessarily a reflection on like how eager I was for either of them. I think it's part of it's just the nature of the release and probably the nature of dragons slipping in just ahead of the Lord of the Rings. But um, so I have complex feelings and I'm viewing them very much together on the same track, but also I'm viewing them very differently and, and how kind of they stimulate my brain and how like what causes me to watch each of them. And after watching each of them, I still don't know where I come down on like how I feel and what I expect this end game to be kind of like what this show becomes to me. Yeah. I think there's a few interesting elements of that. Uh, I think the the two shows being on at once is only going to really start to feel like something relevant later in the seasons as house of the dragon approaches the end point of its season. And as we're at a point in the rings of power where things should really be ratcheting up a level. I think that's, that's where it will get interesting in a way of which one just has more ammunition to one up the other and completely kind of leave it falling flat. And in House of the Dragons place, that would concern me if I was HBO, because if you have a, an issue finishing a season, one after how the last series finished, 
Um, I, I think that would not be a good look and that will feel like something that a lot of people could just lose fate at that point. But you're also going to be dealing with a Lord of the Rings show that should be hitting its stride and reaching some really interesting points at that that juncture too. And I'm also like, this has been, there's been maneuvering on both sides for release dates from a way out. I'm really curious as to what Amazon might know is dropping in a week where, you know, House of the Dragon could be in its penultimate episode or its finale. Like that's, that's something too, because although this is not the stuff that most people are going to be engaging with when they tune in week to week, uh, this is a colossal battle between old and new TV in some ways. Although really with the way things are at HBO, it's between new and new TV. And two different versions of that, two different ideologies. War of the Rings is essentially the, the blank check project of we just need this to be the biggest thing it can possibly be. We're committing to a longer term. But people are going to have to like it. People are going to have to tune in. Week one seems like people tuned in. Um, seems like people liked it too, but from what Amazon have released, it, people certainly tuned in which that's part of their goal. They'll be encouraged by that. I do think it's a fascinating thing, the two shows going at once. I think you've got to be brave to release a whole lot of anything else during this time. Um, It's interesting even that it is something of a lull when it comes to movies. That may not be the worst thing because just there is going to be something of, you know, if there's no vacuum there to fill, if you're a movie, like, everyone's attention a lot of the space culture is going to be taken up with these two things we'll have a new star wars show very soon which is also going to add fuel to that fire and bring something different to the mix too but right now seeing these two fantasy shows with very different tones very different intents go toe-to-toe is really interesting and true two episodes of the rings of power and true three episodes of house of the dragon I I think there's some ups and downs on both. That's my early impression. Um, I love the first episode of the Rings of Power. I was less keen on the second episode and a lot of the Harfoot stuff and our mysterious figure that I am pretty confident one way or another that that's the figure that will mean more to me and I'll become more interested in as the season goes on. But at this point, that and the Harfoots is not doing it for me. Where Even has, <laughs> yeah, in, in episode one of House of the Dragon, I was not crazy about that. Two really was one I really, really enjoyed. And honestly, the third episode didn't do a whole lot for me, um, in part because I think that show is, has something of an interesting identity thing going on where it is desperate for you to treat it as Game of Thrones and feel like it is just it's Game of Thrones and um, to even, you know, recycling score and opening credit teams and that sort of stuff. And yet it's also doing something structurally that just fly completely against what Game of Thrones is. And that's only going to get more pronounced in the next couple of weeks. And when I say that, I'm mainly talking about time jumps. Um, and how it is using time very differently in its story than it was ever used in Game of Thrones. What What is your early read? Are you feeling elements of, like, 
interested in both, but there's also some mixed bag there, like I am, or are you more positive, more negative? Um, probably a slightly more cold on Lord of the Rings. I feel like anytime I'm with Galadriel and even Elrond, I'm very much in on what's happening. Yep. Uh, e- even, um, what's his name? Uh, new new show. I'm trying to remember his name. The guy who's like the elf that's watching over the men and is kind of striking up a relationship with the woman that played Nora and How I Met Your Mother. Around there, I think, is that character's name. I'm in on him as well. Uh, Harfoot's not doing it for me. Uh, the guy that fell out of the sky. Uh, sorry, uh, it. I'm not very interested in that. Uh, and I don't know, they're just kind of washing over me. And I'm like, this all looks pretty nice. Uh, we're gearing up for something that I can tell I'm going to be in on at some point. Um, I have a problem with prequels a lot, too. It's like, I know what happens 400 years later or whatever it is. And it's just really hard for me to care. So they're building up me caring about the characters. And I think, to an extent, having a prior relationship with different actors playing Galadriel and Elrond helps a little bit. Um, and I also uh, think that their uh, storylines balanced out nicely with uh, two of the aspects of Lord of the Rings that I think really worked in the original trilogy, which is like a sincereness towards your duty and just like pick yourself up by your bootstraps, like quest nature that Galadriel has. And then Elrond, uh, balances that out with his storyline just becoming a little more uh, off kilter and humorous. Uh, so I like the way those balance out. And other than that, it's like, I'm kind of just still in a holding pattern waiting to see what happens. Um, unfortunately, Adam with house of the dragon, I felt the exact same way that you did. First episode didn't really grab me at all. Um, second episode, I enjoyed much more. Uh, and then the third episode, I was just like, okay, that, that exists the time jump that is necessary for the storytelling has a potential to either steer it into what it's going to be as a strength or be a big weakness and what brings it down if people lose interest in kind of the portrayals that they're used to with some of these characters like millie alcox uh i would take a bullet for she's like the only character in this series that so far that's i'm like actively rooting for i think uh (laughs) He's insufferable, but I think Patty Considine is giving Viserys what he needs to be as this kind of sad sack trying to figure it out king. Uh, So I think there's some good performances up and down these shows, but I'm just still waiting to really be locked in to the story and actually care about it. And like we said, it, it may be, we may be forced into that and whether it works or not, we'll see when Emma Darcy and, uh, Olivia Cook come into play as we jump even further into the future. You know, I'm I'm part of the Olivia Cook hive, so I'm looking forward to that from that extent. But also, just I'm a little apprehensive about where this is going and the disjointed nature of the storytelling because of what they have to do with time. Um, but so it's it's tough to get through three episodes of one show and two episodes of another and be like, all right, like still waiting that being said i i do and this is rare for me like i said i do like having that sort of grounding point on sunday night from the house of dragon perspective it it it, from a nostalgic probably 
uh, ingrained primal response from hearing the music they're trying to manipulate me with uh, makes me be like, all right, we're back in the saddle. Things feel a little bit normal. You know, a pre-COVID world when Game of Thrones was able to disappoint us on Sunday nights in its last season. So there are things I like, things I don't like. And overall, it's just I'm I'm ready and waiting to feel strongly rather than just kind of being there for the journey. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. Let's let's branch off and let's work through the shows individually. We'll start with House of the Dragon and we'll start with Trons because you finished there and I'll, I'll pick it up. Um... Like when when you talk about that experience, I think that's very easy for you to say, and I get that. I watched probably the last three to four seasons of Thrones at least live, and when I say live, that means like when they're simulcast and it's like two a.m. in the morning starting, and that was a really exciting, thrilling thing that you would look forward to of like, and it would feel like an event at that point, much like the way you're talking about, but honestly, maybe even amplified further because it's 2 a.m. and you're looking forward to something that's starting at 2 a.m. Not a completely unique experience for me, uh, American sports fan who finds myself awake at that time, but it, it was something a little bit special, a little bit different. And the first three weeks I have been doing that again for this show, and I will probably continue doing it anyway. It's not the same, though. And so when I hear the music and it's that time and then I'm greeted with the show, this is. 
I'm left a little bit cold. And I think where for me, the, the thing I'm wrestling with the show, with that show at the moment, which is it is uh, pretty well written. Like and every individual scene is good. Don't have a problem with that at all. Um, I think the performances are really, really good and it is incredibly well cast. It's more just the greater struggle of what is this and what is it serving. And honestly, it's hard to feel like it's serving anything more than HBO and Time Warner's bottom line, where it's like, oh, we need a Game of Thrones show back on the air. And we know they tried really hard to make that happen and there was going to be the Naomi Watts show that the pilot was shot for and then was cancelled and killed off immediately we'll never see it but I can imagine that wasn't spectacular based on how that all played out but what I was hoping for from this show it's like great they're going to tell us more stories from this time which is something we've gone increasingly used to like it's Star Wars, which I mentioned, we're going to have Andor, the Rogue One show, um, start to air really, really soon. And Star Wars has been doing this in various forms for quite some time, both true films and also um, in TV series. I don't think Star Wars has ever been as unsubtle, though, in doing here's the thing about like, oh, you're here because this is Star Wars and let's remind you of that as House of the Dragon was in its very first episode where I thought there was a lot of hand-holding to remind the audience, this is Game of Thrones. Um, this isn't a different show, this is Game of Thrones. We want you to know this is still Game of Thrones. You're going to feel exactly like you did. It's going to be just the same kind of story. Renera and Damon right off talking in the throne room, him sitting on the Iron Throne. They throw it in your face. <laughs> yeah, there's a, there's a lot of stuff like that. And that's fine, I guess. That's going to do it for a lot of people. I want to see a big swing. I wanted to see something different. It's like, what is this world like at a different time? What are different personalities like? And a lot of this feels somewhat mapped on where you can map on one character to another. And then what I'm struggling with is when I think Game of Thrones, I think about what worked that show. It's the intrigue and it's like the it's all of the conversations and hallways of power that are scheming and are plotting. And there's always some plotting going on somewhere else off screen that you don't know about that. That's going to come around and surprise you. And this show is not capable of playing that version of the game of Thrones hits, which to me is like the most essential foundational thing to game of Thrones was seeing something much more closely resembling the passing of time in a way that equated to a viewer watching where you're checking in once a year, because you needed to see the plots come together. You needed to feel the machinations at work, like a character like Littlefinger, for example, cannot exist in a show where in its third episode, you're going to be like three years later. It's like, what? three years we just jumped three years like i thought in what you're telling me you're telling me this is game of thrones you're setting up characters in a certain way immediately i was prepared for oh okay well that character's already scheming about that and this is already going to come to a head over here and then all of a sudden three years have passed and as an audience member you're left going 
it may not even exactly be three years. That might just be the thing that's now in my head. I don't know if you remember specifically. Uh, but the way they're jumping with time and the bigger time jump is about to come too. It's just, it's a situation where you're like, I feel like I'm missing what should be the good stuff in this world because that's what you've trained me for before. So no matter how much it looks like Game of Thrones and how much you tell me it's like Game of Thrones and you come up with, you know, a title sequence, which is before Daenerys, Daenerys Targaryen, which just made me want the ground to open up and swallow me. It's like, come on, let's give your audience more credit and just go straight to, oh, we're going to explain this to you in the terms of the characters you know. That's the struggle I'm having right now. Maybe the events to come are going to be so gripping and arresting that I get past that and all of that will make sense. But I do believe that the plan here is for a multi-series arc. I don't know if they have an idea of how many seasons. I know it's been renewed for second season. But doing that and yet also there being a sense of we're just going to hurdle forward in time. It just kind of it it doesn't represent what I understand as being Westeros and the politics of Westeros and how all of that plays out. And yet it, the story is presenting as something that is very typically kind of of the vein of Game of Thrones. This is not a radically different show showing a radically different part of the world. It's just moving at breakneck speed and we're just not getting to see a lot of the things that are happening, which that may well work for a lot of people, but I'm I'm finding it tough because the show so desperately wants me to get on board with and understand and accept that it, you know, it's still Game of Thrones. But I feel like some of the kind of the meat that was there in Game of Thrones is missing. Yeah, that's the primary issue I have with the show, but I think it's bothering me a little less than you. I think I'm I've been able to find the moments within the episodes that uh kind of speak to me a little bit but then when you get that time jump so first it's six months and then you're correct it's it's three years because we get um allison being named as his next wife and then we get Aegon's second birthday so there's at least two years nine months uh baked in there so three years we'll call it so you're right um and i think that's why so i don't know you probably know more than me about the creative vision for this show but if we get to that point where it's like, all right, now we're living in as close to real time as Thrones did. I think that's when it's the make or break point for this show because we've got two new actresses we're introduced to uh, as characters that we're familiar with uh, via the first half of the season. And is that where we start getting just the Game of Thrones we know, like uh, Otto Hightower played by Reese Ifans? How's it pronounced? You know, I'm bad at this. Do you know? I I actually don't know if it's iPhones or eFans. Um, okay. Well, then we're going to give me a A for trying. Uh, Sir Otto Hightower or Matt Smith's Damon Targaryen. If if he's back into the fold and we start getting those conversations in hallways where Viserys is the hunted boar, we'll say, and the vultures are swarming around in the shadows, then I think that becomes a show that we're more familiar with and we like and then you still get the the big action set pieces although i will say second of his name the third episode um the big confrontation with the crab feeder was probably one of the weaker action set pieces we've seen on a game of thrones episode it didn't think it was great although it did teach 
uh, Rick and start how to zigzag through a field of arrows. If you've seen the memes going around, you know what I'm talking about. And, you know, I said it in the moment. So full credit to me. I was the first person to make that joke at Silver Spot Cinema in Chapel Hill, North Carolina. Um, but yeah, and I, that's why I keep coming back to the, me being in this holding pattern, because I do like a lot of it. I think, um, like I said, Millie Alcock as Renera is really good and really well suited to, to the role. Uh, the aforementioned Reese Ifans as Serato Hightower. I know there's more for him to do in there, and he's there. We're setting, we're being set up for him being in the Lord Baelish ilk. I hope that they really steer into that in a more conniving and a more just vicious way. Uh, Matt Smith, I think, I expected to be uh, less in on him as a character just because he's got a more recognizable face than anyone else that I was familiar with. And, but I think he's brings kind of that uh, smarmy attitude that Damon needs. Uh, so I, I just really do like a lot of the show and it's, I'm just waiting to be wowed. And I am optimistic that a moment's coming where this can settle in as a reliable TV show that I always look forward to, even if it doesn't quite reach the heights of Game of Thrones. I'm definitely not expecting that, partially because, I don't know, it's just, it's it's really tough for me to care when I know a very future outcome for the Targaryen family. I know where this is headed. I know where the end game was. I guess I uh, didn't have this problem with Titanic because I had a problem with James, Cam James Cameron's script. So that was just a less glaring of an issue. But uh, I'm, I'm here for it. But, you know, I'm, ta I'm taking things with a grain of salt. A grain of uh, wasabi pea. I don't dislike it. But that is a very low bar for a show in this world. For for like that's that is not a ringing endorsement. It's just it's not working for me yet. It's not getting to a place where I'm approaching liking it. Uh, also, I am probably resenting it a little bit because uh, similar to you, I mean, Millie Adcock is by far Millie Alcock even is my favorite part of the show. I think she's fantastic, and. I'm kind of on board with, yeah, let's watch that character over seasons and seasons. But I want to watch her version of that character. So that's also something that's really tough, particularly if it's not like a one episode thing. Just giving a couple of episodes, three episodes, four episodes for the audience to grow attached to a performer and a vision of that, that character and then switching it up. That's a real risk. And they've got very, very capable actors coming in for that handover of those roles but i don't know if that matters if people have already latched on to oh well this is who it is through the portrayals of other actors um that's at the moment feels like it's going to be less of a problem for lady allison to they have not had doing a whole lot honestly which feels like that's by design because you don't want that character doing a whole lot until olivia cook is in the role but there's no way around that with Renera. So Millie Alcock has been front and center and really feels like the show to me and would be like, if you were to get me to point out, you know, what, what is the show? What do you think of when you think of it? It's Millie Alcock's portrayal of Renera Targaryen. So that switch is something that in advance, I'm 
maybe maybe fairly maybe unfairly a little bit pissed at the show about it's like this is you're getting me to watch this and i'm buying into what you're doing and you're going to change it up and not to go like way off into the future but it's for pretty minor jumps it really does suck that aspect of it all because it's it's asking the audience to get invested in a character all over again and you are you already did that I'm there. Like, I'm all in on this Renera in this world. Other problems I have with the rest of it, I'm all in on Renera. And uh, yeah, I'm, I am concerned about the time jump. I definitely like I, it more. I than wonder, you. I wonder though, the one thing with that, and particularly when they're doing these time jumps, I wonder was there a way, maybe this is too radical a break from what Game of Thrones style is, but to tell multiple timelines concurrently. So, you have Millie Alcock as a flashback version because I think that gets you adjusted to both characters, both actors, both characters, same character, but both actors portraying it in those versions in a way that is very different from saying, oh, here's Renera. This is the Renera that we want you to kind of latch onto. And then that being changed. I mean, with the way they've structured these episodes, maybe there's just too much there. That's not possible. But it's a kind of an interesting thought exercise, I wonder, of is there an edit you could do? Is there a way you could stitch this together where you're kind of having parallels or you're revealing bits and pieces about Viserys' character, Renera, by going back in time in a flashback kind of sense? And it looks like, based on IMDb, so I know you did your research, we're not getting that. I did uh, not do my research, but okay. I, I had a feeling. <laughs> I had a feeling. Um, I, I think Matt Spade is very good in this. I just worry that that character is too villainous, too chin-strokingly villainous right from the jump, and it's a very hard thing to come back from. I don't doubt that the morality around that character and a lot of his actions is going to be a lot more in the gray than what it feels like so far. Um, but they really kind of, I don't know, they set him up in a certain way, which is going to take some work to come back from. I am, I'm, I'm just, I am intrigued to see where it goes. I mean, you did mention an underwhelming set piece in episode three. I think some of the work in episode two is some of the best looking Game of Thrones related action I've seen and um, the shots of the dragon kind of along the surface of the water when they're on it that's that's really good stuff like um, and some really striking cinematography one of the things we haven't talked about here is um, some of the I don't know how surprising it is maybe at the inside it's not surprising but some of the upheaval that has already kind of greeted this show because Miguel Sapochnik who was a key figure on Game of Thrones, a director of many of the most notable episodes, acting as a showrunner on this series, directed the pilot. Um, he has already left the show. Um, he will not be back as showrunner for season two. That's been handed off. And he's been pretty vocal about it. he just doesn't want to do Game of Thrones stuff again, which I think on a lot of levels is fine, but is also a weird spot to be in that you're going to have something of a handover of power after your show has been conceived to be one thing after someone has got it up and running as one thing and then maybe 
there can be slight variations in vision that mean it will prove to be something else. Any other thoughts? Will we pivot over to Rings of Power for the moment or anything else on House of Yeah, Dark? all I had was that despite my qualms about losing a performance that I thought was really exceptional, I'm optimistic at them at least creating something that's a notch below Game of Thrones that I can be invested in 10 times a year. Um, and you know it takes a lot for me to say that about a TV show because most of the time I just do not care about things people tell me to watch. Better Call Saul couldn't do it. Uh, what, what are the other just like uh, zeitgeist TV shows going, right, going on right now? I don't know because I don't watch them. So uh, Optimus Andy checking in from the Brewers game. Uh, as for Lord of the Rings, I'm honestly with a lot of the things that you dived into Galadriel is the character I'm most interested in and I don't really want to leave her side um, I kind of thought this was going to be the Galadriel show and it could do it becoming that for me and if so I think I'll really be into this and really gripped by it um, that is the place where again you talk about like Lord of the Rings doesn't have to rings of power doesn't have to hold your hand in the way house of the dragon did and, and tell you you know where this is situated in the story because you can open up and you've got galadriel and you've got elrond and they're talking about sauron and also some of i guess what we may have touched on last week and talking about peter jackson's Lord of the rings trilogy part of what's just kind of bedded into those stories is the the knowledge within the world which is there in the books and then it's there within the films of like who a sealed door is and what is a sealed story and how did all of this come into being you know we get the kind of snapshots in the movies we get the explanations in the book and so the history is established and this is giving you a chance to really dive deep i've no doubt that that also applies to a meaningful extent with house of the dragon too it is worth pointing out which uh, probably nobody doubted Andrew and I are not book readers when it comes to uh, A Song of Ice and Fire. So that is that is knowledge we, we do not have at our disposal where we have a minimum greater access to some of that kind of stuff, I think, when it comes to Lord of the Rings. Um, Morphe Clark is a star. Uh, that was clear from St. Maud, a great horror film. She starred in a couple of years ago now. Her as Galadriel is fantastic casting, and I think it's really going to take things up a notch. I'm just very intrigued by the specific portrayal of Galadriel we're getting. Um, the kind of contrast with the Kate Blanchett wise version of the character that we saw thousands of years later in the trilogy. But I do think that version of this story, that version of the voyage, of the hunt, that essentially it is and how that ties into our greater understanding of what Lord of the Rings is. I'm invested in that. I think that's interesting. And I think that can lead some really, really interesting stuff. Um, some big moments some big set pieces. The Harfoots are the problem for me right now. Um, 
there's been some uproar in my homeland, Andrew. I don't know if you're aware of this. Uh, I was going to ask about this. Cross cross your mind. It did, it did cross my mind. I was like, what, what the fuck are they doing? <laughs> yeah, for, for anyone who has watched it and maybe you haven't really picked up on it, if you're not from this part of the world, it seems like the Harfoots uh, all speak with Irish accents or what are at least supposed to be Irish accents. Right. Some successful, more successful than others. <laughs> Some more successful than others. Honestly, I don't think any of them are completely successful. Uh, this didn't really bother me in the way that it usually would in the way that it bothered others because at the end of the day they are not Irish this is a fictional land and the same way that in the Lord of the Rings I think there are some characters who are supposed to sound more Welsh or some who speak with English accents like they're not actually from England or Wales or in this case Ireland so that was the thing that I was holding in my head while I watched it, which is, yeah, that kind of sounds like a terrible Irish accent. But at the same time, this is they're not supposed to be Irish. Um, they are Harfoots. And this is how they sound, I guess. Not well received in that regard, that element of it here. I saw people who were just casually tuning in, excited for a Lord of the Rings show, who felt uh, the accents were pretty mocking which if they were Irish I would say I'd agree with that and that has caused something in its own right here which is kind of interesting hasn't hasn't kind of come across like that for me um, but I could see why people feel that way and given that I don't think anyone on the cast can do the accent very well it's at least quite a choice that someone made to be like yeah all you guys you're uh, you're gonna have an Irish accent having said that I just this version of Hobbits, um, and I believe I did a little bit of reading, I believe they're like, I don't know, a slightly different race when it comes to Hobbits. Uh, seemingly like Frodo and Mary, Pip and Sam, they are uh, fallow hides, um, which are a different type of Hobbit group to Harfoots. So the Harfoots were in some ways their predecessors Um their life does not jump out to me in a way that feels as this sounds ridiculous, but real. And I think this is kind of part of what works with hobbits is for example, if we want to take Peter Jackson's films and you want to take the party scene from the beginning, we essentially see a lot of people having a party in a way that is very relatable and recognizable. And yes, this is, you know, a group of tiny little people with really hairy feet, but they're they're still just people having a party. Andrew, you're listen. You're a tiny little person. Wow, you like a that's, party? That's extreme. That's extreme. <laughs> Continue. Um. So that's that's something that I do think works in the favor of those movies and getting you on board right away with Frodo and Sam and Bilbo somewhat. Although there's other things going on there. Um, where I just did not connect with the Harfoots in that way because they look drastically different and they're just much more fantastical. And I wonder too then, is that part of what makes the other elements of the story what I'm drawn to more? Because bizarrely, the elves feel more human here than they felt 
in the trilogy. Like, there's sure there are the mystical elements, but being more embedded with the elves takes some of that away too. When we're working more from their perspective than we ever get in the movies. I guess that's where I'm at. If that's kind of if that makes any sense on the whole Harfoot thing. And maybe there's another shoe to drop and hopefully very soon that is going to make all of that interesting or set something in motion that is going to, I don't know, do we need to send two of them off on a quest? Is that ultimately what's going to happen? I'm not sure. But I do feel like something needs to happen there. Maybe it's tied to our mysterious man. Very possible, depending on some of the theories of who that might be. But the Harfoot thing is just, not firing on all cylinders for me in a way that like genuinely I do think Galadriel Elrond the dwarves too I really enjoyed everything with the dwarves that side of things I'm like this show I'm actually really excited for much more than I would have expected but if we're gonna have whole episodes that are like Lenny Henry and the Harfoots um which sounds like a band um I'm not gonna be as crazy about that yeah I found I found myself more often than not bored while watching both of these episodes. I'm in on Galadriel. I'm in on Elrond and Dwarves. I I've I'm cautiously optimistic on uh, the story involving uh, Arondir and Bronwyn. Is that is that yep. them? I enjoyed their their smoldering looks of longing. The rest of that town, I'm not so sure about uh, the. Bronwyn's kid really annoying. His friend really annoying. <laughs> Bronwyn's uh, kid is so making some decisions that are gonna come back to haunt us all. You know, he really is. Uh, not a fan. The Harfoots are. I'll say it. Th- those things are genuinely terrible. They're badly <laughs> acted. They're badly written. They're not good at all. A man fell from the sky. They found him, and I was bored the whole time. They're eating snails. I don't even know what's going on. Just like. If they just pretended in episode three that we had never seen them and we just picked up with, you know, Elrond uh, making his peace with the dwarves and Galadriel going on about her way after the shipwreck and all that stuff, I would be thrilled. Just pretend it never happened. Put the the uh, uh, the Will Smith uh, blinders in front of our face. Tommy Lee Jones, whoever's got to do it, make us forget we ever saw them because like. I, uh, I genuinely thought it was just terrible. Uh, I like a lot of this show, and there, there, there are sometimes you're just like in a situation where you're where you're thinking you're supposed to like something, and sometimes it's like a restaurant or a bar or a theme park, a, a game, whatever it may be, and you're just like, does this suck? This sucks, doesn't it? I, every I don't. Time I don't think I have, this sucks I, though. I really don't. I I've it's okay. It's 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 making you slog through a lot of boring bullshit, a lot of just like nonsense to get to the good parts. And if it keeps being just like the ensemble, we're here, we're there, we're here, we're there, then I just don't think it has what it takes to sustain interest over eight episodes and five seasons. That being said, all that being said, I think it's going to get there because I think we know who is going to become the primary focus of the show. And if it's Galadriel North Star or Sun with planets surrounding it, okay, I'm back in. Also, to give it some, I guess, leeway 
it's the first two episodes of a series and they're establishing all the corners of this world and they're showing us the types of characters that we know from the first three trilogy and be like all right this is what the hobbits are in this time this is what the men are in this time this is what the elves are in this time this is what the dwarves are so they have to do it uh i just think there are some big misses in certain aspects of it and much like with house of the dragon both of these i'm in on a lot of and skeptical of a lot of but also hopeful so it's just like i'm giving them these shows an incomplete rather than a d or an f or an a or b I, I'm giving maybe a little bit more credit to the Rings of Power because I just think it's it's very impressively made. I, I think the direction was really good, particularly in the the first episode. I feel like you know one of the things you spend all that money if you're going to be the most expensive TV show ever, you want to see it on screen. I think we see it on screen and we see it in a way that is true to some of the conversations we had last week about like what makes Lord of the Rings, Lord of the Rings and what should Lord of the Rings look like? And a big part of that is kind of that element of realism and sprawling landscapes and how do you make magical places look and feel real at the same time? I think it's getting a lot of that right early on. It's got a lot more work to do. It's going to have a lot where it's going to factor into, but I think very promising start. Um, I also the thing that is interesting here is we talked about the casting of the Lord of the Rings films last week and the way they went about that and I think when you compare this to House of the Dragon House of the Dragon has some really kind of proven recognizable actors maybe not for everyone but I certainly think in terms of a British audience and maybe that's just by way of how characters are portrayed in the world again pointing to you know what accents these shows choose to give made-up characters from made-up lands who could honestly sound like anything um in game of trials everyone is british essentially and they have gone to a really well established and like a-list pool of british actors for the most part not the a-list in terms of like movie a-list but in terms of like top tier character actors tv actors the kind of people who can carry it they're there um the lord of the rings is a much much different cast with a much higher variance because they're they're working with people who if they're not unknowns across the board certainly not really heavy hitters not people who've had bunches of tv shows that they've fronted or movies and that also creates something that is a different dynamic that your two episodes doesn't theory make it a tougher task for it to just grab hold of you because you're not like oh there's matt smith going crazy over here you're like what is that character whose name i haven't learned yet and i also don't know the actor's name i think that creates something that is going to subside as this show gets on you actually get to know the characters that is probably jarring into the rings of power's disadvantage at this particular point my uh I'm sorry, I do have I... one other thing before I forget. The Harfoots and your rant about the Harfoots. Yes. There is something the Harfoots kind of remind me of. Go ahead. They remind me of Daisy Edgar Jones's character where the crawdads sing. And I I just wonder, could could the Harfoots live in like 
swamps in rural Car- North Carolina and Jersey can you see or do they possibly live there if you were the to venture out could you find cake. the Harfoots no. <laughs> uh, <laughs> you know I'm gonna have to watch that movie and, and then give you a comparison uh that is the wild thing with the accents too though because they could in theory just give all of those people really southern accents or uh, or like Midwest, it doesn't matter. Like anywhere. It, it just the choices in that are kind of really interesting. Anyway, I do. So I want to love this show because I'm like I'm all in on being against all the people that are mad about the diversity in the casting, and the diversity of the casting is something I really like about this show because we're talking about mythical fantasy lands. Who said that everyone has to be white? that's a ridiculous notion to me and the people getting upset about it quite frankly are fucking assholes i've already cursed in this episode so you knew to make it explicit, so explicit. I say that. yeah that's cool um if if you want to have actors of color as elves dwarves men uh harfoots hobbits whatever it may be perfect because that's representative of the world we live in and gives actors uh, across different races chances to be in things and there's been just such a history of racism and just television and film that i think something like this is a step forward and people upset about it can just jump off a bridge is that okay all right the wine's kicking in and i'm getting i don't don't know if they're if they're real people like you really well it's so it's online behind an avatar You, you know what i mean it's just like like honestly, my my take on the diversity of the casting is, I don't care. It didn't factor in at all for me in my viewing experience. These are fictional characters, so I watched the show. And I'm like, that's what the character looks like. Great. Which to me is just kind of how stuff works. Like, however they're chosen to be casted, like that that works. That's the character. So for me, if the show decides. We're going to cast a black actor in that role. We're going to cast an Asian actor in this role. We're going to cast a white actor in that role. I'm not really at any point being like, now hold on a minute. It's more just like, that's that's what the character looks like. That's who they are in this world. Cool. What do I need to know about the character then? What, what's the show telling me? Like, that's that's the place where I'm coming at, where I honestly, I, I remember it being a big discussion when the first like set photos and publicity photos were released by Amazon for the show. I completely forgot about that. Didn't think about it at all watching the show, just didn't think twice. And then in the past couple of days, I've seen the online discourse around this kind of rallying up and being like, oh yeah, this is weird that people are thinking like this because it's just, to me, it's like, so the characters look like. It's like it's a fictional show with fictional characters, with fictional species. It's like I don't know. People are people are weird about a lot of this stuff. The kind of people who are really devoted to anything that is fiction in this way is always a potential dangerous recipe for for outrage and controversy. But it's just not it's i don't care about it it honestly does not factor in didn't factor in for the moment i watched it i forgot that this was supposed to be an issue that people were going to get worked up about one way or another that people were going to talk about until days after the fact i was like oh people are actually getting worked up about that um i think it's the discourse angers me more just because i've been around so many people my entire life who would be 
who would point out like, oh, why is the white guy the villain? And I just think that whole mindset is ridiculous. But uh, yeah, so it's it's something obviously to talk about because idiots have spurred that narrative narrative on. We've gotten the things like the like the ratings bombing on IMDb or whatever it is. So like uh listen yeah, just, the, the is, joke there andrew is on the people who go to imdb to see if a show is actually good based on its imdb ratings like that that is honestly one of the greatest well the joke is on you morons if you're checking to see if a show is good based on its imdb rating like so that was one where i kind of just had to laugh to myself at the fact that that seems like something effective. I think the only reason Amazon step in is I believe Amazon do own IMDb now, which, yeah, that's going to get you to step in. You're not going to like to see your own product used against your own product. But I thought that was just kind of a funny wrinkle in terms of, yeah, these are honestly the people that you don't need to care about because they're not even like intellectually equipped to deal with any of this. I don't know if they're able to put like, one leg at a time into their into their trousers and they get up in the morning. Yeah, we did get a CNN headline that was like, oh, people complaining Lord of the Rings is too woke. So when I see something like that, it's going to hit my spidey senses. And anytime in my old age, as I develop as a person, if I can call a racist an asshole and tell them to jump <laughs> off a bridge, I'm going to take every opportunity because I'm just so tired. Uh, but overall... A lot I like about a lot I like about the show. Some things I don't. Uh, give me, uh, give me what you got, Lord of the Rings, because I'm gonna be watching through episode eight, guaranteed. Uh, I, I, I believe in in what's to come, and same with the House of Dragon. I'm, I'm I, I have no choice but to be hopeful about these fantasy television shows because my sports teams give me no reason to be hopeful. Your sports teams is a particularly grim picture right now that we won't even talk about. Maybe we'll talk about in an upcoming podcast. Maybe we'll need to. Maybe we should never do that because who knows what might happen. But things are tough there. Yeah, we're look, we're going to check back in on these shows later in the season. I feel like one way or another, um, if not before then, by the time the finales for both these shows come around, we're going to check in and be like, okay, so what were these shows really? And do we care about the fact that they're coming back and where they executed well and was there was there a plan there that was worth waiting for that we wouldn't have known about or we couldn't possibly see at this point i think they're interesting conversations to have but it's also good to have some first impressions of sort on the record so that we can revisit them and see exactly how right or how wrong we were from the off i am uh, known to be wrong so when these two come back and are slam dunk masterpieces in the last episode of the season, setting up for 10 season runs each, instead of just things that are pretty good, then uh, you know what? I'll be, I'll be glad to be wrong. Cause it'll give me so, something to do on Sundays. At this point, I feel like I'm right in saying you prefer house of the dragon and you're maybe slightly more interested in house of the dragon at this moment. I, I definitely am based on what I've seen, but I'm still intrigued by what I think is to be seen by Lord of the Rings just because of the, the heavy lift in establishing the world they had to do in their first two episodes. 
feel like it was a lot of like filler. In spite of the Harfoots and the way they speak, I am currently leading Lord of the Rings on this. So that's good. We we uh, usually agree on too much. That's good. That will be interesting to come back and see. Do we both feel like we were right? Are we we both happy that we chose the right side? Which, if that's the case, then probably both chose have turned out pretty well. Yeah. Um, but we'll we'll take a look down the line and we'll talk some more through it uh, in a few weeks' time. That does it for us for now. Um, we're going to have our Captured in Celluloid episode next week instead of this week. Andrew is currently on the road, so it makes more sense to do what I guess could have been two episodes as one. And it also makes sense because they are connected. They're connected very clearly. Um, on the next episode, on Make Time for This, on the next episode of Captured in Celluloid, we are going to talk about two all-time classic films that have been re-released around the world very recently, um, both by the same director, one Steven Spielberg. We're going to talk about E.T. and we're going to talk about Jaws. Uh, I'm going to have seen both of these on the big screen, and I'll talk a little bit about that perspective. I don't know if Andrew will, but he's gonna he's gonna do some rewatching anyway, and we'll we'll have some thoughts on two all-time great films that we have yet to actually talk about on a podcast for. That'll be fun. And you know what? It'll also set the table for some of what's coming later in the year when Steven Spielberg's new film, The Fablemans, comes out. So it'll be more Spielberg talk to come later in the year. And with that, you could do worse as a table setter than to talk about E.T. and Jaws. So I'm very excited that that will be next up on the feed. Uh, capture and celebrate episode early to middle of next week we'll have much more tv talk much more movies some other stuff dotted in very very soon so to make sure you never miss an episode subscribe make time for this wherever you get your podcasts if you do like what you hear five star ratings and reviews would be greatly appreciated we're trying to build up some following some support to get the word out there um, this is an evolution of what Andrew and I have been doing on Caption Celluloid. It's a new thing here at the Eurostep Podcast Network. So any help we get on that is greatly appreciated. As always, make sure you're keeping a very close eye on all things Eurostep Podcast Network, covering Milwaukee sports. That's the books on the Eurostep Podcast Network feed. The Eurostep, Win and Six, all living there. That's where you can stay on top of all of that. The Packers on Talk of the Tundra, and also the black sheep of the family right now, the Milwaukee Brewers, with Andrew and I at Cruising for Brewers. I think that does it, Andrew. Until next time, thanks again to all of you for listening. Thank you, Andrew. See you next time, everyone. It's happening daily. We're being conned by the institutions we used to trust. The mainstream media is distracting us with meaningless headlines instead of focusing on the harsh realities facing American families. Time is short before something big happens, and that's why so many folks are preparing. They're becoming self-reliant by investing in emergency food storage from My Patriot Supply. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure four-week emergency food kits for each member of your family. 
Each kit contains tasty breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Save $50 on each four-week food kit you purchase. Plus, get free shipping on Ready Hour four-week emergency food kits. You're not ready if it's not Ready Hour Foods. At My Patriot Supply, you can also get solar power generators, water filtration units, heirloom seeds, and survival gear. Order by 3 p.m. and your unmarked boxes ship the same day. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com 